Who's ever taken the time to Google your name? Raise your hand. You've Googled, am I the only narcissist in here? Like, I've Googled myself. I want to see what shows up. And I've, I've done that before. And you see, you know, other Scott Applegates. Uh, if I haven't met you, my name is Scott Applegate. And one time I, was, I Googled my name and I found out that there is a town in Oregon called Applegate, Oregon. And there's a big lake, like a reservoir in southern Oregon. I thought, how fun would that be to like flash my credit card or write a check if anybody writes checks anymore. But, you know, like maybe I'm the mayor of Applegate, Oregon. I don't know. But as I was continuing to, to look up what, about Applegate, Oregon, I found out that there is this trail called the Scott Applegate Trail in southern Oregon. I'm not kidding. And it's kind of in that Lewis and Clark era where they were settling the West and trying to you know, go all the way to the Pacific. A guy named Scott Applegate set, came from the wilderness of Oregon and went all the way to the Pacific, and they named this trail after him. Here's how I know for a fact that I'm not related to this guy. I get lost at the zoo, let alone the wilderness of Oregon. I mean... We had uh, some of our student leaders and students go backpacking uh, this weekend. You, good thing I didn't lead that. Like, your kids wouldn't have made it home. We would have had to call, call Flight for Life to come get us or something, rescue us out of here. But um, we are in this series on the life of David, and I've so enjoyed getting reacquainted with, with David. Always been one of my favorite characters in the Bible. God used David in mighty ways, and you see the highlights of David's life, but also the lowlights. He went through some tough stuff. He failed greatly, but he was a man after God's heart. God called him a man after his heart before David had ever done anything or anything that we have recorded. I love that, and I love his life. David is, is, was the second king of Israel, and God promised him that there would always be a king on his throne. And that was a prophetic word about Jesus. Jesus came from the lineage of David. And so we have that preserved for us. And I think God, you know, preserved these stories, you know, for us for specific reasons that we would take courage, that we would be encouraged. David found himself in the wilderness, in the desert, uh, running from King Saul pretty much the whole part of 1 Samuel that he's in. And then even in 2 Samuel, he's running for, for his life from his son Absalom, who was pulling a coup. And these people are out to get David. And so David found himself in the wilderness often. I believe God preserved these stories for us, and you can write this down, that the wilderness is a metaphor for a time of discouragement in the life of a believer. You might find yourself discouraged this morning as a, as a follower of Jesus. You're discouraged with life. You're discouraged with your circumstances. And I'll tell you this. I may not know a whole lot about the real wilderness and hiking and all that kind of stuff, but I do know a lot about spiritual wilderness. I've been through stuff in my life that, you know, feeling low. You get into those spiritual funks. You get into this, the desert place, so to speak. I remember after I was baptized, when I was a brand new believer, brand new follower of Jesus, I was on cloud nine of, of, of this new relationship that I had with God. 
And it was literally the day after my baptism, I went into this spiritual depression. Like, I, I didn't know if God was real, was what just happened to me real. And it was several weeks of just major discouragement. And later, when I was in Bible school, I actually had a, a guy challenge my faith and, and try to dissect what we believe as Christians and why it wasn't true. And it rocked my faith. It did. It caused me to like, question, like, was this really true? And, and um, you've probably been down that road yourself. And for me, that was very discouraging. Me, If I was going to give my full life to this person named Jesus, I wanted to know that this was real. I look back on those discouraging times, and I grew most in the moments that were discouraging, in the times that were discouraging. I dug into this word, and, and, and my roots went deeper. So if you're in a discouraging season, your roots are actually growing. Your roots of your faith are going deeper. Trust me. Don't turn away from God. Turn to him and let him encourage you today. So I would say this next. You can write this down. Discouragement is anything that makes us less confident and less hopeful. Anything that robs our courage, right? That's discouragement. We're less courageous. We're less hopeful, less confident when we're discouraged. Everyone gets discouraged, right? We all go through seasons of discouragement. And discouragement is contagious, right? You're around somebody who's discouraged, you kind of have to guard yourself because it's easy to start getting bummed out too and realizing, whoa, do I, why am I encouraged today? And so we're supposed to be here for each other to encourage one another. Often, discouragement happens right before a blessing in your life. If you're discouraged today, you might be right on the edge of a major breakthrough and blessing from God. I believe that's a word for somebody in this room today that's discouraged. I've also seen that discouragement often happens right after having a mountaintop experience. You have something great happen to you spiritually in your life, a breakthrough, and you catch yourself shortly after feeling like, where am I? Where's God? But it's like if you go and climb a 14er, you're on top of a 14er and you look across, you made it to the top, to get to that next high peak, you got to go through the valley. And that is our life. That is our journey. We're, we're up on the mountain and then down in the valley, up on the mountain, down in the valley. The, 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 the key that we want to take away from today is how not to stay in the valley and how to continue to press on is what God wants for us. So why do we find ourselves in the wilderness of discouragement? What is the reason that we find ourselves discouraged sometimes? Well, it could be circumstances. I mean, that's pretty obvious. You have circumstances that are uh, most of the time outside of our control. We don't control circumstances. People are the reason we get discouraged. You hear a, someone disapprove of you or something, you know, somebody doesn't like you or whatever, that can make us discouraged. Doubt makes us discouraged. We doubt God. We doubt truth. Um, disobedience leads us to discouragement. When we disobey what we know God wants for our lives, it's going to lead us into discouragement. And the, and the one that you may need to recognize is sometimes God leads us into the wilderness. You think about Jesus, right? In Luke chapter 4, Jesus gets baptized the Spirit, Holy Spirit descends upon him, and the Father shouts from heaven, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. 
And it says, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days. So he was led by the Spirit into a season of wilderness. And in, in God's sovereign hand and his sovereign ways, he does allow times of discouragement to come in so that we would be encouraged by him and understand uh, who he is even deeper. So with David in his life, in 1 Samuel 27 through chapter 30, what we see with David, his discouragement, as well as ours, often starts with negative thoughts. You can write that down. It, uh, discouragement often starts with negative thoughts. It says in, in chapter 27 of 1 Samuel, the first verse, but David thought to himself, one of these days I will be destroyed by the hand of Saul. The best thing I can do is to escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will give up searching for me anywhere in Israel, and I'll slip out of his hands. So David had this negative thought come over him. How am I ever going to get away from Saul who's, who's pursuing me to kill me to bring him down? If you, if you haven't been reading or you don't know the story, Saul was the first king of Israel. And he disobeyed God, and God took the kingdom from him and handed it to David. Well, there was a time period there before Saul died that the kingdom was given over to David. And so Saul hated David. He was so jealous of David's success. And so he literally lost his mind over David. So he's continually to pursuing him to, to kill him. But here's what happened with David's negative thoughts, and this happens to you and I. Discouragement destroyed David's perspective. Two things David needed to remember that would have built courage in him instead of discourage him was, number one, he had just come off three major victories. He had just seen God lead him to major victories. I mean, it was obvious the hand of God was on David's life. So he, all he had to do was remember what God had just done for him. And the second thing was God had promised him that he was going to be king. So there's no way he was going to die until he was king. But David lost his perspective. He let negative thoughts get in, and he, he focused on what might happen rather on than what had happened. He focused on what might happen rather than what God had promised him. Next thing I want you to write down is this. Discouragement often leads to impulse decision, decisions and compromise. It leads us to impulse decisions and compromise. When we get discouraged, we're, we're opened, we just open the door to temptation. There's a, huge, a bigger door, broader door to temptation when we're discouraged and we, we're impulsive in our behavior. And we, we tend to compromise more when we're discouraged. The story goes on that in fear, David goes and makes friends with the Philistines. The Philistines, they were the arch enemies. You know, Goliath was a Philistine, right? And so David makes friends with the king's son and makes this alliance. Hey, I'll help fight Israel with you if you give me safety. And so he puts him in this place called Ziklag, which is, would have been in the southern part of Israel towards the coast, the west coast. And so Ziklag was a place in the Philistine ter territory, and David and 600 of his men and their wives and children uh, take up residence in the enemy's territory. So there's his compromise, right? He becomes very deceitful. He never was going to attack Israel. He was never going to attack his own people, but he deceived 
this king into thinking that he would. And so what David would do is he would take his men and they would go on these raids. And they would go and they would wipe out the Amalekites and the Jezebites and whatever ites you can come up with, right, that are in, in the, the enemies of Israel. And he would go and he, the, the king would ask him, what have you done today? Oh, we raided Judah in the Negev. We did this, we did that. So he was deceitful as well. He lives there for a year and a half. And on the surface, this is what you got to get. On the surface, his compromise looked good. It brought him relief. Saul was no longer pursuing him. And so he felt safe. Here's the principle. When, whenever we're confronted with compromise, to compromise what we know is right, to compromise God's word and what God has told us to do or not to do, usually when we compromise, there's an immediate sort of positive feeling. There's a, a positive consequence of relief. For David, it was relief from, from his fear of being chased. But it, it's, it, the, the, the immediate positive consequence always leads to, in an end, negative destruction in, in our lives. You make the right choice, it might have immediate negative consequence. It might hurt a little bit. It uh, you know, might, might cause difficulty. But in the long run, it is going to bring positive results for our lives. That's just the principle of how God works. So then in, in this, as the story continues, you can write this down as well. When discouragement leads to disobedience, the results are destructive. When discouragement leads to disobedience, the results are always destructive. It says in chapter 30, David and his men had been on another raid, and they were coming back to their place where they were staying in Ziklag. It says, David and his men reached Ziklag on the third day. Now the Amalekites had raided the Negev and Ziklag. They attacked Ziklag and burned it and had taken captive the women and the children and all who were in it, young and old. They killed none of them, but they carried them off as they went on their way. Here they are, trapped in living with the, with the enemy in the enemy's camp, the Amalekites were one of the people that David led his men to go raid and, 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 you know, and kill and go to war with. David was going to war with, with people that God hadn't instructed him to do. And so if you read through David's life and all of the, you know, the settling of Israel and, and all of that, when God was the one leading them, they always had victory. When they went and took matters in their own hand, it was always destruction, right? You see that through, throughout David's life. That applies to us that when we compromise and we take matters into our own hands, we go start our own wars, so to speak, we're going to find ourselves in trouble. The Amalekites, they were ticked. Would anybody in this room take a broom to a wasp's nest and then just stand there? That's basically what David did. The Amalekites were on a war path destroying anything that they could along the way. They were mad. And so they got to, to Ziklag and destroyed it. And David, he didn't listen to the Lord. He did his own thing. Here's what I want you to hear. You might be tempted to compromise somewhere in your life right now because you're discouraged. It happens to all of us. When we get discouraged we, and our emotions get the best of us, 
we usually do something stupid. Anybody relate to that? <laughs> right? You might be discouraged in your marriage today if you're married. You might be tempted to compromise your wedding vows. You might be discouraged with your financial situation. You might be being tempted to do something that's illegal or wrong or whatever with your finances. You might be lonely. Loneliness is one of the toughest discouragements that any of us go through. And when you're lonely, you're, you're tempted to compromise God's word. You're tempted to compromise what you know to be true. And so David, we're going to find here, hit rock bottom. And when he hit rock bottom, he figured out how to now encourage himself, how to get out of the wilderness, so to speak. And so what should you and I do? And we're going to learn this from after David and his men found out that Ziklag had been destroyed and their families taken captive, what happened? Now, write this down. The first thing you do when you want to get out of the wilderness is you weep. Weep. You think, what are you talking about? For some of us, weeping, being real, letting ourselves feel sad, I'm not any good at that. Can any, most of the, the dudes in this room, but I, could, I don't like to feel sad. Like, who likes to feel, some people know how to express their, their sad feelings. I don't. I'll admit that to you. I hate sadness. I'd rather gloss over it and move on to something happy, right? It's just how I'm wired. But in reality, when you're discouraged, when you feel like you're in the desert, you feel like you're in the wilderness, be real with God. Be real with him and be real with a trusted friend that you can share and pour your heart out. David was good at that. Um, I'm not sure what David's Enneagram number was, but uh, he knew how to pour his heart out to the Lord. And he, he did that over and over. So here's what it says. It says that when David and his men saw the ruins and realized what had happened to their families, they wept until they could weep no more. David's two wives, Ahinoam, you say that, from Jezreel, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal from Carmel, were among those captured. To weep is an admission that we're discouraged. Sometimes you just have to say, I'm discouraged. I have a couple close friends that when I'm discouraged, I'll call, pour my heart out, say all my dumb things that I'm discouraged about, and then call them a day later and say, hey, I feel better now, so <laughs> thank you. You know, sometimes you just have to admit when you're discouraged, when you're weak, when you're tired, when you're frustrated. But, but here's something that's so beautiful from the Apostle Paul, who's like one of the most influential people outside of Jesus we see in the New Testament. Paul wrote a letter to the Corinthian church, his second letter. And in chapter 12, he says that he had something that discouraged him. He called it a thorn in the flesh. And he says that he pleaded with God three times to take it away from him. We don't know what his thorn in the flesh or what it was that discouraged him, but he pleaded with God, Lord, would you take this away from me? And he said on the third time, God said back to him, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. 
And he said, okay, from there, I'll boast in my weakness because it'll be God's power, not my power, not my willpower, but God's power working in me. And so today, if you're feeling weak and discouraged, hey, his grace is sufficient for you. His power is made, work, made strong in your weakness. Second thing to get out of the wilderness is resist bitterness. Resist getting bitter. You're discouraged for many reasons. Maybe you're discouraged because you don't have the right job, or you, uh, you know, your employer let you down, or a family member, or, or who knows what, what reason it is that, that you feel discouraged today or what your circumstances are. Resist getting bitter. When we get discouraged, we tend to blame others and get bitter with others. It's somebody else's fault why, why I feel the way I do. And when we begin to blame and get bitter with others, that's not good. It, it, it actually creates a tension in our heart that just slowly erodes our ability to, to hear from God. It says that David was now in great danger because all his men were very bitter about losing their sons and daughters, and they begin to talk of stoning him. Now think about this. This is David's mighty, loyal men who were willing to lay down their lives for David. They were so mad at his compromise and what he had done in jeopardizing their families, they were like, let's just kill this dude. They had had it. They got bitter in their heart towards him. His selfishness had put their families in harm's way. Here's what it says in Hebrews 12, 15. It says, look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. Bitterness is a soup. <laughs> it's a soup with three main ingredients, discouragement, disappointment, and anger. When you get those three things, that is a vile, vile concoction. And when that gets down into our hearts, it's going to do damage not only to ourselves, but bitterness destroys relationships. You think about Cain and Abel. Cain, you know, and Abel brought an offering to the Lord. And it says that God was pleased with Abel's offering, but not with Cain's. Cain got bitter with Abel. Cain got bitter with God and took it out on Abel. Often we're bitter with God and we take it out on people. Things didn't turn out the way we thought they were supposed to and we forget who God is. We forget that he's for us and not against us. So even when difficult circumstances happen in our life, God is still for you. God is still working his perfect purpose in your life. Discouragement might have a hold on you today because somebody has let you down. Somebody let you down. Well, don't let bitterness get deep down in your heart. David's men were being tempted with that. We need to be quick to forgive. Sometimes we're holding unforgiveness towards people and they don't even know that that person that you're, you're mad at doesn't even know that, you know, you're mad at them. They don't even know that there's something that needs to be forgiven. And then we just stew on it and it becomes this bitter root down in our heart and we can't see straight. Here's what it says in, in Colossians chapter 12, I mean chapter 3 verse 12. It says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, that's you, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. 
bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. We're to forgive as the Lord forgave us. Otherwise, we're going to become bitter. Next thing to do to get out of the wilderness, so to speak, or to get out of discouragement, is encourage yourself in the Lord. Encourage yourself in the Lord. To encourage is to put courage back into someone. Discouragement robs us of our courage. Encouragement puts courage back into us. You know what? We need to be encouraging each other all the time. Life is bringing us down left and right. Life is chaotic and busy and stressful. Let's be good at at encouraging one another. And so when you encourage yourself in the Lord, you're, you're making a statement that you're no longer going to trust your own resources, your own ability, your, your trust ourselves. We're going to know that we walk by faith, not by sight, not by feelings, not by circumstances. I, I know how easily I can get discouraged. And I, I love that there are examples in the Bible of how easy people get discouraged. I was thinking of Elijah the prophet, right? Um, on Mount Carmel. Have I told you that we went to Israel recently? We went to Mount Carmel. And in, in I think it's 1 Kings 18 or 19, uh, Elijah just sees God do these miraculous things to the prophets of Baal. He sees miracle, fire came down and all this, you know, awesome stuff. The next chapter, a woman named Jezebel threatens him and he runs in fear. And goes hides. He had just seen the Almighty do some amazing stuff. And then one little threat, and he's discouraged and, and hiding from Jezebel. We get discouraged over little things. It's usually the littlest things that, that tend to rob us of our courage. It says in 1 Samuel 36, it says, But David found strength in the Lord his God. He encouraged himself in the Lord. When life hurts, When life brings discouragement, worship. When life hurts, worship. When life hurts, recount the promises of God uh, to yourself. Recount the promises of God to God. Any any parents in here, you know that, you know, you promise your kid that you'll take them for ice cream, right? What happens if you don't fulfill that? What do you hear? But you promised. But you prom every kid said that to their parent, but you promised. And then we come up with some reason why we didn't do it, and we'll do it next time, and, and all of that. Listen, God loves to hear, but you promised. He's the perfect father. He loves for us to say, God, you promised. And it's not for him to move. It's for us to build faith in what the promises of God are. One of the first scriptures I ever taught Chase, my oldest, was in the Psalms, it says, God is faithful. The Lord is faithful to all his promises. And she would say, and the Lord is faithful to all his promises. I mean, and she still can recount it like that now. Get, get the word of God, get the promises of God in your kids, in your heart now. Because then when life strikes, when discouragement comes, you have a resource inside of you to say, you know what? I know what God's promised. I know how this is going to end. This is going to end fine. God will always get the last word. 
Do you know the promises of God? Have you taken the time to read the word of God and then uh, memorize what he's promised? Every, every, in my Bible, and I'm, I'm not saying this to brag, so this is just how I read the Bible. This keeps me in my little ADD that I have on track when I read. I color code my Bible. And so one of the things that I do when I see a promise from God, I highlight it in red. And so then it gets in my mind more, it gets in my heart more, and I can easily go back and find the promises of God. Do something to remember what God has promised you. He's made some amazing promises in his word. Jesus told us that we have his peace, that his peace he gives to us, not peace that the world gives, but his peace can be ours no matter what's going on in life. The peace that the world gives is circumstantial. If my life's going good, then yay, I have peace. Jesus says that's worldly peace. His peace is in spite of my circumstances and in spite of even how I feel. He says his joy has been given to us. The creator of the universe, the most joyful being ever, says my joy is made complete in you. Jesus promised us eternal life, that when we die, we're going to go immediately into his presence. Though we die, we live. That's a pretty awesome promise to hang your life on. Who agrees with that? Eternal life, so we don't have to fear death. He also promised in John 16, 33, he said that in this life, you're going to have trials and sorrows of many kind. That's a promise. We're always shocked when something happens. Like, whoa, I didn't see that. He said, you're going to have trials of many kind. But listen to his words. Take courage. I've overcome the world. I love that. So don't look inward when you're discouraged. Don't look inward. You'll just see all your failures and flaws. Don't look outward because you'll see circumstances. Look upward to God and what he's promised. Faith puts God in between us and our circumstances. Romans 15, 4, such things were written in the scriptures long ago to teach us. And the scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. Love that. That's why the stories of David were preserved for us. Next thing to do is seek God's wisdom and direction. That's what David did. After he encouraged himself in the Lord, he sought God and said, God, what, what do you want me to do? God, I've made a mess of this. What do you want me to do from here? And I, I say this, please, please hear me. I am a sinner saved by grace just like you. But it boggles my mind sometimes when people are down and they're discouraged and they're, they're frustrated with life. They feel directionless. And I'll say, have you talked to God about it? No, I haven't done that. <laughs> I mean, that's the first place to go, is to talk to God. He's the one who knows the beginning and the end and how all things are going to work. He's the one who loves you perfectly and infinitely. Pour your heart out to him first. Ask him, seek him for wisdom. James 1 is a promise. It says, is any of you lacks wisdom? Ask God to give it to you. He'll pour it out on you liberally. What a great promise. Do you lack wisdom today? Are you discouraged? Seek the Lord. And then lastly, get back in the fight. That's what David did. He got back in the fight. But he was now fighting under God's guidance rather than making his own wars. And he, was, he went on to, to great victory. Here's, here's what I want you to hold on to. 
The war is won against our enemies. You have three enemies, sin, death, and the devil. Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead defeated those three enemies permanently. But there's still a battle to fight for joy and peace this side of heaven. There's, there's still a daily battle of things trying to rob you of your peace and to rob you of real joy. There is a real devil. I don't know if you believe that theologically or not, but I'm convinced there's a real devil, and he's an enemy. C.S. Lewis said that the devil wants us to have two extreme uh, thoughts regarding the devil. He wants us to either believe he doesn't exist and pay no attention to him, or he wants us to pay see him around every corner and think about him and blame him for everything. He likes those two extremes. But the balance is there is a devil, but he's been defeated. But here's the deal. He's a deceiver. When you get discouraged, the devil is, is trying to deceive you. He's an accuser. He is an accuser. Here's what he does. He accuses God to you and to me. You've heard the voice. God can't be trusted. God's not going to come through for you. God's mad at you. God's done with you. If you hear those voices, that is the devil accusing God Almighty to you. Then he accuses you to you. If you were really a Christian, you wouldn't do that. If you were really a Christian, you wouldn't think like that. If you really love Jesus, you would. Now, there is a conviction of the Holy Spirit regarding sin, you bet, but condemning thoughts are always from the devil. They're always from the devil. So if you're hearing those accusations, we have to remember the Father shouted from heaven at Jesus' baptism, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him over those accusing voices that accuse God and accuse you. And I would say this, don't forget to dress for battle. Don't forget to put on the full armor of God as Ephesians 6, 10 through says. It says on a, on a daily basis when we dress for this fight that we're to put on the helmet of salvation. It protects our minds. We're to uh, put on the breastplate of righteousness that guards our hearts. And it's, it's not your righteousness, it's the righteousness of Jesus that's been given to you, his perfection, the sword of the spirit which is the word of God, to take on the, the, the belt of truth. Sometimes you need to have your pants held up, right? It's the belt of truth. And he says, hold out the shield of faith, which quenches the fiery darts of the enemy. Those little accusations, hold out the shield of faith. If you want your faith to grow, you're going to have to learn the word of God. You're going to have to learn what God has said about himself and who you are in him. And the more you know about who God is, his attributes, his character, his goodness, his faithfulness, and what he says about you and who you are in Christ, discouragement doesn't have that much power anymore over you. And it's a, you, as you journey with God, you'll, you'll feel that. So as we close this morning, we're going to close with a song. And I know there are folks in this room that are super discouraged. I want you to make your way up here. And we're just going to declare to God and look to him 
Mike's going to sing a song. And as we sing this song, I want you to contemplate the words. But if you're discouraged today and you need a touch from God, you need a, a word of encouragement from Him, I would just say, come make this space available just to kind of say, God, here I am. It's me. You've been talking to me today, and I want to find encouragement in you. Some of you in the front, just come put a hand on the folks that came forward. Just do this together. Lord, you know the pain these folks are carrying. You know the weights and the things that are on people's heart. We just want to surround them and, and everyone in this room that's discouraged. Lord, with your love, God, with your grace, with your wisdom, God, I pray you would minister to their hearts that you got this. Whatever is discouraging them, you got this. You're for them. You're not against them. Your love is perfect. Nothing can separate them from your love. Let them feel that deeply in their hearts this morning. Let there be a release of their burdens and discouragement back to you, Lord, the one who bears our burdens in the first place, Lord. Help them to not carry their burdens. Help us as a church family to carry one another's burdens. Pray for one another. Care for one another. Thank you for breakthrough, God. Thank you, Lord, that on this day you've done a mighty work in our hearts. And God, that this won't just be a mountaintop experience, but a, something moving us into this week and into the future, trusting you. Thank you for Lord David's example and how he sought you when he was discouraged. Let your joy and your peace that you've promised rule and reign in each heart. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give each one of you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus so that with one heart and one mouth we may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Everybody said, amen.